0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: The Chicago
0: Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report.
2: I'm your host, Andrew Freeman, and of course, joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. say we are recording this episode on Thursday, October 21st, following uh, Bears-Packers week. You know, the Bears, they got to a a strong start in that one on Sunday, but uh, of course, Aaron Rodgers comes back to torture Bears fans once
1: again, but other than that, you know, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing all the cold weather set in Chicago here and in the entire area in full effect, so certainly just prepping for that navigating that too i think that everything's good how are you
2: yeah doing good you know the cold weather it really it really came to play today man like it was nice all week and then we get this cold rainy day up here by me and just kind of got the whole mood down uh in general but i mean it is what it is you know looking forward to you know a tough stretch here in terms of football wise for the bears coming up and um, you know, we'll see what happens from there, but, you know, let's talk about this to kick to go off this, to kick off this podcast. You said, let's talk about this bears Packers game, because, uh, was certainly, it felt familiar. I felt like, um, I don't know if you felt the same thing watching it, but it kind of played by the same script that we've seen, uh, from these two teams over the last, I don't know, decade, even like going back to Brett Favre years, three decades now for the bears, where the bears, they got to a strong start. They looked like they were going to be competitive in this one. And then eventually they, the offense couldn't show up. They couldn't score in the second half. Uh, and then Aaron Rodgers took over down the stretch, even though he did not have a big game in this one. I don't even think he had 200 yards passing, but he made the key plays on that final drive. Uh, and, and, of course, the explanation point is the, the touchdown scramble he had where he taunts the fans saying, I own you. I've always owned you. Um, just twisting the dagger uh, for, for Bears fans here. But you know, overall, what were your thoughts on that on that game on Sunday? And you know, how's that make how's that got you feeling now that the Bears they have it's not gonna get much easier for them going forward?
1: Well, you're right. It was a typical Bears Packers game. I mean, you go back, you will get the first drive. Green Bay's on offense first. The Bears forced that three and out there after what appeared to be Green Bay building so much momentum to the point where we thought that they were all gonna march down the field and score on that first possession, but Players like Robert Quinn, Khalil Mack obviously showed up. I think Roquan Smith, and it's just been a hot point of debate by some Bears fans on Twitter, is, hey, how good has Roquan Smith been this year? Irrespective of the stat sheet, I mean, Roquan Smith, you could argue right now, has been a top three defender in the NFL in terms of just the consistency that he brings to the table each week at the middle linebacker position. And then on the other side of it, let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball. I don't remember the last time the Bears offense marched down the field and scored on the first or scored first against the Packers. So we talk about progress in this game. I mean, the issue with the Bears over the last, what, three, four seasons under the Matt Nagy era has just been the inability to go ahead and sustain long drives and then end up scoring touchdowns, right? Well, guess what? This game, both drives that the Bears had ended in touchdowns or Two drives that the Bears had ended in touchdowns, just to word that better. And those were both 80-yard drives. So all of a sudden, people are going to talk about, well, there's not really any progress made. I think there was certainly progress made in this game in terms of what the Bears were able to do. If you go back and you look at Justin Fields' passing chart, he was 16 for 27. And again, 16 for 27, throwing for a little over 100-something yards, just under 200 yards, one touchdown, one really questionable interception that right there, I think speaks volumes as to the bears are continuing to just slowly, slowly open up the offense more. I mean, we saw weeks four and five, the bears were supposedly so run heavy and that's totally fine. But then again, it's just like, we're seeing it more and more where what the bears kind of did against this Packers secondary was open up the offense more and start to show shades and inklings of, Hey, this is the type of offense that we want to run, and then when you just look at Justin Fields overall, another really solid performance. And essentially, what was his fourth into, in his fourth most complete start in the NFL? I mean, I really don't, don't count the Bengals game because he came up injured in week two because he came injured in for Andy Dalton but in Fields 4 start I mean he had big completions to Allen Robinson, Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney you saw Khalil Herbert emerge and I think that as we continue to move forward here and David Montgomery does get healthy over the next three four five weeks you're going to see Herbert and Montgomery emerge as one of the better one two RB punches in the NFL because dude both of them are both of them really hard runners that can completely grind it out in November, December, early parts of January. Absolutely. And so that's what you love to see. So there was certainly progress in this game, but then again, it just goes back to the quarterback position. Okay. The bears do not have enough at that position. And this is no slight to Justin Fields because he's a rookie, but the bears just don't have enough at that position to overcome a team like the Packers. So what you're doing essentially then is you're basically hoping to play a mistake-free game every time, but the Bears can't play a mistake-free game. Why? Because coaching, execution, situational football, even situational football in terms of management as well as game planning has become – it's been an issue for the Bears, and I think that that puts now puts into perspective, hey, is this entire argument of Matt Nagy being – even a good head coach, is that completely dead? Because, again, remember, everyone was talking about, okay, if Matt Nagy gives a play calling, things are going to be fine. But we've also seen over the last couple of weeks that Matt Nagy's given up play calling for three games now, but the Bears haven't been the best either when it comes to just game planning and managing the game situationally.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's just – like you said, there is some progress in the, in the sense that, you know, that first drive was really – Efficient from the offense. You know, they got the running game going there. Khalil Herbert, by the way, Khalil Herbert looks really, really fantastic. there, stepping up for uh, both Devin Montgomery and Damian Williams being down. So shout out to the, the six-round rookie because uh, he looks like a really nice find by Ryan Pace in this front office. And um, he's just perfect for the outside zone running scheme that they want to run here um, in, in this offense. Uh, but with that said, I mean, we saw Justin Fields get going on that first drive as well. He looked really comfortable early on in this game. Uh, you saw those three big completions, you know, they started him ni- nicely with Cole Komet on a little play action bootleg to start off the game. Then he had that big completion to Allen Robinson, you know, throwing that cover two hole shot. That was just a dime. Perfect ball right there. So we, sh- we saw some flashes here from Justin Fields. We also saw, you know, on that, on that second touchdown drive, he makes some plays, you know, extending plays and um, using his athleticism to get out of trouble and make something out of nothing. So I don't want to discount Justin Fields' performance again. Like you said, he's a rookie, so, you know, there are going to be some ups and downs and some flashes and some some boneheaded mistakes, and we also saw those as well. I felt like in the in-between period between that first drive and then that second touchdown drive, uh, Justin Fields had some real issues and struggles in this one, and the Bears offense in general just had some struggles uh, in this game. You know, that interception we we talked about, you know, for one, let's just – can we just – comment for a second how bad the officiating was in this game like oh my oh my goodness like you know that that first interception that Justin Fields throw it should not have been an interception like the Green Bay Packers were clearly off sides on that play and I mean everyone in the stadium thought it was going to be a free play except the referees on that one so it was I there there were just so many frustrating calls and I'm not going to blame officiating because you know the Bears lost this game because at the bottom bottom line here at the end of the day that they couldn't score points like that was the issue for the bears in this game like they for only two drives were they able to have a meaningful offense and they and they shot themselves in the foot on many many occasions in this game as well like we talked about the two-minute drill where um you know I, I, but that was another referee mistake as well while which i'll get to but uh you know just there are so many mistakes from the bears in this one that you know they i felt like they should have had a chance down the stretch to win this game they just didn't because of mistakes they made but the refs were definitely a a factor in this game which is unfortunate because again i try not to blame the refs for losses but it's tough when you have refs not calling obvious offsides that impact the bears on a play you have refs that are spotting the ball outside the hash marks like what are you what are you doing and then on that two-minute drive like i talked about on the field on the play where just after Justin Fields threw that almost interception to Adrian Amos, where he was trying to do another, um, you know, off script play to Al Robinson, where they were just going to use communication there. You know, Justin Fields tries to call a timeout, but the referee just waves him off and says, nah, we're not letting you call the timeout. Like what, what was that? What were the reps doing in this game? Like it was so bad. Like it was just juvenile. Like it was, it was, it was like they brought a middle school referee crew onto an NFL field and say, Hey, you're running the, you're running the show here. And it was just, it was mind boggling, all the horrible refereeing mistakes that were made. But with that said, I mean, you can even go back to that, that timeout that wasn't called or not allowed to be called for the bears there. Like, why do you need to call a timeout after a long review where you should know as an offense, like you should know what the play call is. You should have everything set, ready to go when it's time to like when they get the ball set and you're ready to snap it and stuff like they just looked unprepared after those first couple of drives the Bears looked like they just had no answers and unprepared for a lot of things Matt Nagy you know, you're right he had a couple of questionable calls in this game in terms of you know you talk about you know the challenge that he threw that was a successful challenge he calls a timeout before the challenge so he's wasting in effect he's wasting a timeout regardless of the outcome of the challenge like if, if it's questionable, just throw the challenge five because you're already wasting the timeout. Like, that made no sense right there. They wasted a timeout on that in the first half. And then you get to the second half. They got a third and seven on the Packers' 40-yard line, down 17-7 to seven, uh, at that point in the game. And not only on the third down play do they call a, a jet um, rollout or whatever it's called, a rollout play by Justin Fields. Like, on a third and seven, you're calling a rollout Cut the field in half, type of concept, which just blows my mind that they thought that was a good idea on third and seven. And then instead of going for it on fourth and seven, where all the analytics, all the data, everything points to the the time and situation of the game, everything points to you have to go for this right here because you don't know if you know Aaron Rodgers is just gonna walk down right right down the field and and score on this next touchdown on his next possession right here. And Matt Nagy says, nah, I'm gonna punt and trust the defense that. For all intents and purposes, outside of the first two drives, did not really play all that well in this game. Like the Packers were able to go right up and down the field in this one outside of those first two drives where Cleo Mack and Robert Quinn got their sacks. So, you know, there was a lot of bad in this game uh, from the Bears. I felt like, they, again, they shot themselves in the foot on too many occasions. And, I mean, clearly the Packers, they're a better team and all facets right now. They're a better coach team. They got Aaron Rodgers still playing at a very high level um and they're just they have a lot of talent on all sides of the ball but if there was going to be a week to get an upset over the Packers it was this week because you're at home Packers have a ton of injuries to a lot of their key players like this was it and uh, you know the Bears they they for all intents and purposes they blew it and it's unfortunate because like you said before like earlier on I know we're kind of rambling on here at this point for this Bears game but there were some positives to build off of, but it doesn't matter when you're going one step forward, two steps back on a lot of these things. And again, they can get the running game going all they want, but the passing game isn't effective right now. It seems like, you know, even with Bill laser calling the plays, there isn't a cohesive plan to what they want to do on offense outside, just run the ball every other play. It seems like, which is just not a great strategy in general. And in the key situations and the key moments of the game where you need your head coach to make the right decisions of, you know, when do we go for it on fourth down, how to make a challenge, when to make a challenge, all those type of things. It seems like we just can't trust Matt and Aggie to make the right call consistently.
1: And it's certainly, it's certainly frustrating. You're right. And let me just last point. I'm going to make here about this game. So the officiating and, Look, there's been a lot of questionable officiating when it comes to Bears-Packers, all right? And what happens is this. We have to acknowledge and understand something is that if you're a Packers fan, you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, oh, my God, the officiating is totally fine. If you're a Bears fan, you know what? There are certainly a lot of questionable calls that take place. But I also think that what... People don't factor in as fans of other teams that may go ahead and play the Packers. They sometimes do see the same issues that we see where there's just a slight bias from the refs towards the Green Bay Packers. But let me say this. I thought that there's been a lot of bad officiating in Bears Packers over the years. Now, Sunday, I think, was the worst officiated game I had seen, period. Go to the fourth quarter right now. The Bears on that 10-play 80-yard drive where they scored the second touchdown of the game. There was such a questionable holding call on the Bears' offense that it basically negated a... Khalil Herbert touchdown, and the reason I bring those things up is because it's like there's certain things that you look at and you're like, okay, well, that's a call that could go either way, and then which usually tends to happen with things like offensive and defensive pass interference calls, those are the types of calls that you're like, okay, they could go either way, I could see why the reps called this the way that they did. And then there are certain calls where you're just like the offsides call where you're absolutely like on the replay, you don't have to look at the replay, you can just look at it and say in real time and say, oh, my God, so-and-so jumped off sides. This Packers player jumped off sides or had a neutral zone infraction. Why wasn't that called? Also, one last thing regarding progress. I think we're seeing Justin Fields get more and more situationally smart because he saw that the Packers player had – jumped off sides even though it wasn't called and decided hey let me just take a free shot down the field there are very few quarterbacks that are actually going to do that that's actually something that Aaron Rodgers has continued to kill teams on and basically make a career out of so really smart play by Justin Fields There, just recognizing and understanding what happened and then trying to take full advantage of the situation
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Yeah, it's ironic that you have a, the Bears finally get a quarterback that recognizes when he gets a free play and tries to make a play downfield that the refs end up not calling it to where it's a free play that like, it's so ironic. And and of course it happens against the Packers where Aaron Rodgers has made a living in his career on those free plays where he gets guys off sides and chucks a D for a big play down the field. Like Aaron Rodgers has made a, a lot of big plays off of that, especially against the bears. Like, so it just, it's, it just breaks your heart because you've seen this rodeo so many times before and it just, it's so frustrating, but I'm, Honestly, I'm glad that we're past Packers week, though, because I just I can't stand the Packers. I I hate talking about them at this point. I'm ready to move on from that. And and speaking of moving on, I think it's a good time to transition away from talking about this last Bears Packers game. Flush it down. Let's talk about some college football here, because, you know, there were some interesting developments uh, in the college football world this past weekend. And, you know, this college football season continues to get more and more interesting as we go along here. And I think that has to start with, we have to start with Oklahoma because we talked about Oklahoma changing quarterbacks last week. where Spencer Rattler, a guy that we talked about a lot as potentially QB1 in his upcoming draft class, being benched in the Texas game for Caleb Williams. Um, and Caleb Williams looked pretty solid for Oklahoma in that game for them against Texas. Well, it turns out that Caleb Williams is going to be the starter moving forward. And I think after his latest performance against TCU that he's going to keep that starting job moving forward as well, because uh, boy, did Oklahoma look really damn good against TCU on this past Saturday. Caleb Williams, especially, I I think we really saw the offense for Oklahoma finally wake up. Uh, It's been up and down all season long, but it's possible they might've found something here because Caleb Williams, you know, he took, he got the starting position. He got the job. And we had Aaron on, who's a big Oklahoma Sooners fan, uh, to talk with us about what their situation was with Caleb Williams. And he kind of alludes to the fact that Caleb Williams, you know, he's been kind of thought of in general over the last few years as he's going to be the guy for this Oklahoma Sooners program uh, for many years to come because he's, he, he's seen as that good. And he's looking like he's going to be the next guy for Oklahoma football at that quarterback position. And, boy, did he look like that this past weekend against TCU. He just looked in command. He looked in control. And if we're just look at the stat sheet here, uh, 18 for 23, 295 yards passing and four touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's got some life now because the, their defense, while maybe has been a little bit disappointing so far this year compared to what we thought they could be, um, You know, they, they got some players on that side of the ball. And if their offense can continue to play like this, with Caleb Williams under center, uh, you know they could be going places here now that they're ranked officially third in the country at this point.
1: Listen, I think speaking of going places, at that quarterback position, you need to have someone that's going to respond to the entire team, but then also someone that the entire team is going to respond to. And if you look at Spencer Rattler, who's, again, started for a couple seasons here, at Oklahoma compared to Caleb Williams in what was his first actual start against TCU, you just saw the difference in how smoothly the Oklahoma offense operated under Williams than it ever did under Rattler. Now, we discussed this with our friend Aaron Lemming last week. What were some of the knocks on Spencer Rattler is that there are concerns about his maturity. There's concerns about, okay, is he really the guy for this Oklahoma team? The biggest one of all that tends to kill quarterbacks is just really... Inconsistent play all around and erratic decision-making. You didn't really see that from Caleb Williams in his first start. Now, he's only a freshman. There's a long way to go, so this story isn't fully written yet. But the fact that the Oklahoma team responded to Caleb Williams so well just shows you and tells you that this is an 18-, 19-year-old freshman that seemingly is just way mature beyond his years and really has the tools and traits needed, as well as the necessary skill set to succeed in Lincoln Riley's Offense, Because one thing that really stuck out to me about Caleb Williams is how effectively in this game against TCU, he was able to push the ball down the field. The reason I bring that up is because if you look at the last two serious starting quarterbacks for Oklahoma, and I'm not discounting Jalen Hurts, I'm just saying Baker Mayfield as well as Kyler Murray that have gone on to have pretty successful careers in the NFL. What was a staple of their skill set, too? They were able to effectively push the ball down the field. You saw that from Caleb Williams in this game. And so the results in just one game were really encouraging. And you're right. I mean, Oklahoma, when it comes to the college football playoff, is certainly an interesting team because the Big 12 is always kind of the little brother of all the college football playoff teams. I mean, these Big 12 teams, they certainly don't get as much respect as some of these Big 10 or even these SEC teams. And now all of a sudden, I think Oklahoma has a serious chance to make some noise if Caleb Williams continues to progress throughout the second half of 2021 like a lot of people are hoping he does because what's a big knock on Lincoln Riley? He's been to the college football playoff a couple times, but unfortunately hasn't won a single playoff game yet. And so does Oklahoma still face somewhat of an uphill battle because teams like George are far more talented, especially on defense? Yeah, but then again, the results for Williams and OU are encouraging and there's nothing but optimism in Norman right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The future is bright for Oklahoma football with Caleb Williams. He looks like, he looks like the real deal here. And that's that's something that's encouraging. He's obviously not going to be a guy we talked about for this 2022 draft cycle, but keep his name in mind for the future because he's got to look after and look out for, I should say. Um, And, you know, I want to touch on Spencer Rattler real quick here before we get to our next main topic here for college football, but, you know, this is obviously going to be a tough blow for Rattler uh, and his draft stuff, because it was already in a little bit of a free fall um, at this point. And, you know, I, I would be very surprised at this point if Rattler ends up declaring for the draft in 2022, because this is just not a great look for uh, him and his draft prospects. You know, you get benched uh, for, I think Williams, if he, he's not a registered freshman. I think he's a true freshman. Um, but, you know, they get benched for a freshman in any sense of the word and, the, the offense just looks that much better with him in the game opposed to a guy like Rattler who, you know, has experience in this offense, who had a year of starting experience under his belt was in midway through his second year as a starter, like for that to happen to him, it's not going to look good. And it, it, if anyone follows him on social media, he's already taken off, tugging off his uh, uh, profile that he's the Oklahoma quarterback. Like he, I think he just has on there that he's just athlete um, right there on his profile. So it, it looks like he's done at Oklahoma, and whether he enters the draft and, or whether he transfers out of Oklahoma, I think that's going to be the main thing to be seen. You know, I'm not going to discount Rattler going forward in the future here because I think he's got a ton of talent, and if he can put it together mentally um, and really figure things out, I think he's got – I think he has QB1 potential in the future because the talent is, is there, the arm talent, the ability to make plays off script. Um, he's got a lot of ability here. It's just a matter of can he put it all together. But if you can't put it together at Oklahoma with that offense and how good that offense has been for getting quarterbacks drafted high and and performing well at the college level and getting to the league and and playing at a high level there, I'm not sure it's going to work anywhere else really, because that's really the best spot for a quarterback. If you're looking to be a highly drafted, highly touted prospect. All right. Another big game that happened for this college football uh, weekend was Iowa another big team falls uh, in the top five here and and Iowa lost to Purdue this past weekend. You know, it's so fitting for Iowa that after they finally get to that college football playoff discussion, get all the way up to ranked number two that they lose in this sort of fashion right here. And it kind of goes, goes to the show, like kind of represents what this Iowa team has been pretty much this entire year. So, Uh, you know, we look back at this game here, Purdue ended up beating Iowa at Iowa, 24 to seven, In this game. And it kind of played out how the opposite really of where Iowa's been this entire season. So if you followed Iowa football this entire season, you know, they've been a defensive-minded team where it's not like that they have dominating talent like a Georgia does, where they just overwhelm you with size, strength, and speed, and um a bunch of just playmakers out there on that side of the ball. Like Iowa plays a very conservative, fundamentally sound defense, a very tough defense, and they benefited a lot on. A rather high turnover luck this season. I think that was one of the things that had a lot of people question, questioning them throughout the years. That they got away with, they're not necessarily being more talented than teams, but uh, getting a lot more lucky breaks than other teams, especially turning the ball over. And we saw that really come come to bite them in this game because they lost a turnover battle, battle in this one. Uh, Spencer Patris, their, their quarterback, threw four interceptions in this game. He was not good, which is kind of been a, a consistent theme for Iowa. Their offense is just. Not very good in the passing game this year. And then, you know, on the defense side of the ball, not able to force any turnovers. They didn't force a fumble. They didn't get an interception this game. Uh, Purdue was able to play a clean game. And when you play a clean game against Iowa and don't give their offense short fields, this is kind of the result you're going to get uh, when you have an offense that can put up some points on the board.
1: Yeah, it was a struggle for Iowa all around on Saturday afternoon and just really surprised it was Purdue that was going to be the team that was going to knock them off because this Iowa team, I mean, they've really flown out of the gates fast this year. They started off 6-0. and They had a couple key wins against teams like, um, I believe it was Penn State that they beat earlier in the season. But so Iowa's looked really good for the most part. I mean, and then you look at this game, they couldn't get anything going you're right. Spencer Petris had about just under 200 yards passing but had four interceptions. And then when you talk about time of possession, I mean hey Purdue put together the perfect game plan because they controlled the ball for about 10 minutes more. I mean it was a struggle for Iowa all around and then kind of moving forward here here they playing Wisconsin this weekend. and so it's going to be about hey can who's going to be the team that responds here you know can Iowa legitimately respond because people don't I don't think see the impact of this loss, right. Where it was just a couple of weeks ago, Iowa was the team that was ranked as one of the top two or three teams in the country. And now it's like, Oh my God, they've slipped all the way down to 11th overall and just completely out of the college football playoff scenarios and the playoff picture for now.
2: Yeah. I think it was a situation where the college football committee or or AP, they kind of saw Iowa as a paper tiger all year long and and they kind of had them at number two just because, like, there wasn't another really team that could have established themselves as a number two team at that point in time because Georgia's been, you know, ahead of the field. Alabama had just lost a week prior. So uh, it made sense to not have them be number two at this point. But, I mean, anyone who's watched and followed college football this year knows that Alabama, if they played Iowa, they would – if they played Iowa uh, in a neutral field or even at Iowa or at Alabama, like, they would they would destroy Iowa at this point in time. Like, they're just a much better team than Iowa – Um, So it it made sense that this would come crashing down to earth for Iowa, unfortunately at this point in time. Uh, But I want to talk about for this game, uh, there was a big performance from a Purdue player that really propelled them to the whim. And that was David Bell, just going off in this game, a wide receiver for Purdue, a guy who has had some attention put his way in terms of uh, draft pedigree for this upcoming draft class. Like he had himself a game, 11 receptions, 240 yards receiving. Um, he's a guy that, you know, following in the footsteps of a guy like Rondell Moore for Purdue, who's a second round pick of the Arizona Cardinals in last year's draft. And Rondell Moore has been awesome so far for the Cardinals so far as a rookie. Um, David Bell looks like a guy that I'm not sure if he's going to be drafted as high as a guy like Rondell Moore at this point in time. I want to see how he continues to progress at the end of the season. Um, but Man, what a great way to help your draft stock here with a big performance like this.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really solid performance. And what's noticeable about this wide receiver class is that there's not really any significant kind of blue-chip prospects, right? So if you look at the last two seasons, basically, we had players like Jamar Chase, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy um, that were significantly up there and were kind of in a class of their own. You could add – players like Jalen Waddle to that list too. This year, we don't necessarily have that, but there's still, I want to say, two or three wide receivers that are good enough to be first-round picks. Now, David Bell sticks out to me as a player that may not be the absolute fastest. He's not a burner by any means, but he is a really good athlete. He's also got really good ball control. And then I think that he's a really... Physical player as well, being about six foot two, two hundred five. I mean, he's going to be used every single bit his size and his frame to maneuver defenders and just take advantage of whatever he can do with them.
2: Yeah, Bell Bell is certainly a player to watch in this upcoming class because, like you said, I mean, Chris Olave and you know the Ohio State wide receivers are going to be the guys that get the big attention in this upcoming class. But David Bell, he's not too far behind them as a prospect for me, in my opinion, at this point, Uh, he's a great athlete. Like you've said, he's got a really exceptional body control. And we we kind of saw that on on this, on this past game as well. And, you know, he's unlocked an explosive element to his game this year. And uh, it's going to be exciting to watch how he fares in this upcoming draft process, because he's, he he certainly has a lot of ability and we'll just see how it has to play out from here because the bears, they're going to be a market for a wide receiver uh, in this upcoming draft, you know, because you know, Darnell Mooney is the only wide receiver for the Bears under contract currently for 2022. Like Allen Robinson, I don't expect him to be at he him to be back on uh, next season. So uh, they're going to be trying to get, add some wide receiver talent to help out Justin Fields. David Bell is certainly a name to watch moving forward here. All right, last thing I want to cover for college football, and then we'll kind of preview this Bears Bucks game to end things here. Uh, some big news as well coming out recently in, in college football, and and that's ed orgeron announcing that this is going to be his last season at lsu uh you know you talk about i wouldn't say a fall from grace but a just reality coming back to you uh for ed orgeron um of course ed orgeron for anyone who's been following college football just a great personality for the game um was the head coach head coach of that awesome lsu team led by joe Burrow that Got to be one of the greatest college football teams of all time for a single season. When you look at LSU that year, um, Ed Orgeron was the head coach for that. He helped recruit Joe Burrow and all those great players for LSU for that team. Um, but unfortunately, ever since that, it just has not been the same for LSU over the past couple of years. And, um, it's, I think, you're just facing the reality of who Ed Orgeron is as a coach because other than that one great season. Ed Orgeron has always been kind of a mediocre head coach. And we're kind of we kind of have been seeing that over the last couple of seasons for LSU. And LSU has been always been a very talented program. Uh, they always do a good job of recruiting and getting a lot of talent into the building there. And hasn't always translated to wins, but when they do get it right, they've had some really good teams uh, over the past couple of decades or so. And um, you know, Ed Orgeron was a coach for one of those teams, but it looks like his time is coming to a close here in LSU.
1: Yeah, I don't look the rise and fall of Ed Orgeron at LSU is certainly interesting to monitor because you're right. He was a phenomenal recruiter. Now, I think part of the fall was just that there was a lot of NFL talent that had just gone to the NFL over the last basically two seasons. I mean, you're talking about Joe Burrow being one of the main pieces, but then you also look at the running back Clyde Edwards layer going to the NFL in 2016 Leonard Fournette was at LSU well he went to the NFL in 2017 you fast forward to basically the 2019 2021 NFL drafts as well as the 2020 draft I mean you had Terrace Marshall Justin Jefferson Jamar Chase all take the next step you talk about Thaddeus Moss who was a pretty solid college tight end take this next step to the NFL too so really they Lost a lot of talent and that talent sometimes is just so difficult to replicate unless you're a juggernaut like Alabama that basically does such a good job recruiting and developing to the point where it's almost like plug and play and your entire offense outside of one or two guys can go to the NFL and not miss a beat and you can seemingly be better than you were in years past. But ultimately, Orgeron, you know, you're right. He's been nothing more than a mediocre coach. Now, last season, you everyone kind of gave him a pass because, again, it was a COVID-shortened season. So last year, it was almost like everyone got passes. This year, though, I mean, LSU just really stumbled out of the gate. And then you do wonder, okay, what's the real issue here? Because when you look at this schedule, I mean, they – lost to UCLA to start the season. And then after that, it's like they do beat a couple of weaker opponents in McNeese State, Central Michigan, as well as Mississippi State. And then the key games that have stuck out, the Tigers really haven't seriously been able to overcome those key games and able to beat those key teams. I mean, they lost to Auburn by like five or six points lost to Kentucky too. Okay. Yeah. You could argue they had a quote unquote statement win against Florida, but then also you look at it. This is just, I think a divorce and parting of ways that needed to happen because it's clear that Orgeron just didn't seem to have the buy-in of players as well as coaches after the throughout the 2020 season, as well going into the 2021 season. So what's going to happen next for LSU? I mean, you have Ole Miss and Alabama on the schedule the next two games, followed by Louisiana, Monroe, Arkansas, as well as Texas A&M. And so these last four to five games, it's almost like, hey, there's a serious argument you could make that LSU's finishing the season with only four to five wins and six, seven, eight, nine losses. Yeah, and I want
2: to go back to all the talent that, LSU has lost over the past couple of years because I think that's a real, that's a real big cause, cause of the issues that we're seeing now. And we go back to uh, that 2020 draft. Look at all the first round picks from LSU in that draft. Obviously you have Joe Burrow going number one to Cincinnati, but you got Kayla Von chase on going number 20 to Jacksonville, Justin Jefferson, who's been a beast in the NFL uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, Patrick Queen, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And then you go to this past draft, Jamar Chase, going fifth overall. Like, that's a ton of talent. That's a ton of first-round picks uh, over the last two years. And then you get beyond the first-round picks and look at some of the talented players that are going later on in these drafts. Uh, again, going back to that 2020 draft, that 2020 class was loaded with LSU talent. Uh, Grant Delpit, a great safety for them over the years. Christian Fulton, uh, at quarterback. Uh, Damian Lewis and Lloyd Cushenberry on that offensive line. Sadiq Charles on, on that offensive line. Um, you talk about Thaddeus Moss, a reliable player for them on offense and you go to so this this last draft as well 2021 terrence marshall in the second round tyler shelvin in the fourth round uh, jacoby stevens was a long-time player for them Kerry vincent jr a good player in the secondary like they've lost so much talent from this team over the last couple of years like even more so than what they've lost in past years and lsu's always done a good job of turning out really talented nfl football players the last couple of years has just been even more so with all the talent that they lost here. Um, that's really tough to replace. And like you said, unless you're in Alabama where they're loaded with five-star recruits and first-round guys, like like at Alabama, if you're the third guy in your depth chart, you're probably going to be your first-round pick in a couple of years. Like it's just, it's different there than in a, a, a program like LSU that yes, while they recruit a lot of talented five-star players and whatnot, and they send a lot of players, first-round pl- talents to the NFL They don't have the level of depth that a program like Alabama has where they can just turn out first-round pick after first-round pick after first-round pick year after year after year after year. It's not like that at LSU. And that's really where it kind of fell apart for them. And and then Ed Orgeron, again, as a tactician, as a coach, I I think it certainly hurt them that when Joe Brady left for the NFL, for the Carolina Panthers, that's what hurt them as well because Joe Brady was really the straw that stirred the drink for them. On that offense in that in that 2019 season for them, obviously when you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow that will obviously help, but they have a, a guy like Joe Brady who's having a lot of success so far as a play caller in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. To lose that type of guy and Joe Brady, a lot of college coaches credit him for helping to kind of, I, I wouldn't say revolutionize, but kind of get the SEC to where it is today, where it's it's a much more of an offense-driven conference now to where it was five, six, seven years ago. A lot of that has to do with the guy, Joe Brady, who innovated a lot of concepts for the college game. To not have that guy in the building, that also hurts you as well from a coaching perspective.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Joe Brady because I think that Joe Brady right now in this era of NFL where it's still past first, I mean – the hot names right now for head coaching candidates include Brian Dable, offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills; Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers; and Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. But Joe Brady's a name that's relatively inexperienced. Is in his early thirties, but a lot of people are really high on just because of all the work that he's been able to do. And you look at Brady. I mean, in Carolina, he's come in and he's essentially just turned around Sam Darnold's career and Sam Darnold has had a mini revival. Now is Darnold playing like a number two overall pick? Probably not depending on who you talk to. He's going to end up being a middle of the pack quarterback which is totally fine too considering he's still doing better than anything he did in new york but a lot of that goes just to how joe brady's been able to revitalize his career so brady's going to be a name that over the next two to three head coaching cycles you're going to see him land a head coaching gig somewhere
2: yeah and i, I wouldn't be opposed to him maybe uh, being the head coach of the bears eventually maybe help out justin fields as his next quarterback in the future i'm just throwing it out there we'll see what happens
0: Learn more at Marines.com.
2: All right, let's move on to the final thing here for our podcast today and move on from the LSU discussion. Let's preview this Bears-Buccaneers game because, uh, you know, if you thought last week was painful, I hope you're ready for this week because I don't know what you say, but I'm not very high on the Bears' chances uh, in this game. What are your thoughts?
1: I mean, look, I'm not high on the Bears chances at all. I know that Bears fans out there are kind of talking themselves into, hey, could this possibly be an upset win on Sunday based off what happened last year? And I want to reference the Bears-Bucks win in week four or five last year, just to be super clear. There's a lot of reasons as to why this 2021 Bucks team is vastly different from the 2020 Bucks team that came to Soldier Field. Number one, we have to understand something is that when Tom Brady signed with the Buccaneers last year, there was kind of all this talk about, okay, they're building a super team. Is this really going to work? Super teams traditionally haven't really succeeded in the NFL. It's basically one guy landing in some place and then a whole bunch of other players signing and coming with him with the hopes of winning a championship. That's what that was all about. And so if you look at the Bucs last year when they played the Bears at Soldier Field on Thursday Night Football, that was still young in the season. It was a team that was really building its identity and can continuing to figure out what they were good at, what they weren't good at. And you could just tell that they were building their identity because Brady went on national television last year in week one and got absolutely trounced by the new Orleans saints and drew Brees. which also last year, the bucks had a significantly better roster on paper and on the field than the saints ever did. But, Getting back to the original point here, this Bucks team is different because do they have every starter from last year back? Yeah, absolutely. Are there some injuries in the secondary? Yes, but the difference is that this team's good enough to the point where they're going to overcome all those injuries. It's such a past first happy team with players like Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You're basically as a defense on your toes the entire game guessing as to who's going to go ahead and get the ball and then they've got a really solid running game too and then final point I'm going to make here before I let you go man is that the bucks won the super bowl last year so they fully know what exactly they are capable of doing whereas you look at the bears the bears obviously didn't win the super bowl last year but then also the bears are still kind of continuing to figure out who they are and what they're going to do under Justin Fields and right now the bears need to build an identity That's going to be catered to what Justin Fields can do. Todd Bowles and Matt Nagy are like best friends. I mean, but Todd Bowles is basically in this game going to put the bears in a rut in the sense that he's going to force show Justin Fields some really exotic blitzes kind of stack the box with eight guys and basically tell Justin, Hey, listen, we're going to f- keep you on your feet the entire time and basically force you to throw the football. Even though we have a makeshift secondary, keep in mind is that we're getting Antoine Winfield jr. Back. Who's going to cover up a lot of the holes that we have.
2: You're forgetting one thing from that game last year, the bears had for an advantage for them. Nick Foles, baby. He's got Tom Brady's number. I'm just saying. I'm just saying Nick Foles, for whatever reason, he just, has, he just beats Tom Brady whenever they play each other in big games. But anyway, that's that's a joke besides the point. But, you know, you're right. Like you said, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, they're, they're rolling right now. Tom Brady is uh, on a serious note. He's playing some of the best football I think I've ever seen him play. And that's something because he's 45 years old and he looks like he's like 25 at this point. Like that arm looks live. He looks confident in what they're running here in that system from Bruce Arians or Byron Leftwich, whoever is running the offense here for Tampa Bay. It's working for them right now. Tom Brady looks awesome (laughs) right now. He he looks really good and he's got this great connection with Antonio Brown going for them. Mike Evans is a good, good playmaker for them. Uh, Chris Godwin, very good player in the slot. So there's just, there's just an embarrassment of riches on this Buccaneers offense from a weaponry standpoint. And they also have, guess what they also have one of the best offensive lines in of football as well so it's, it's it's just a tough matchup for this bears defense that you know they've gotten away with you know having just a really good pass rush they can get after opposing quarterbacks and make up for their lackluster talent in the secondary but man i i just don't see that holding for another week here against this buccaneers team because they just have so many weapons that it's just going to be too difficult for the bears to cover all these guys like how do you deal with having a wide receiver trio of Antonio Brown, um, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, when the Bears' only quality cornerback is Jalen Johnson, who we saw him go up against an elite wide receiver in Devontae Adams last weekend? And, and you know, credit to Jalen Johnson, he was put into a lot of tough positions. It's not easy to to cover Devontae Adams, and he certainly had his good reps at times. But I mean, Adams just roasted him all game last weekend. Um, you know, how is he going to do when he has to go up against either Antonio Brown or Mike Evans or Chris Godwin? Like, he's in a tough spot. And then you add in the tight ends to this group. I mean, I'm not sure if Rob Gronkowski is going to play at all in this game. But even if Rob Gronkowski doesn't play, you still have O.J. Howard, a former first-round pick, who is a very talented football player. Who just His career hasn't worked out the way we thought it would be coming out of the draft, coming out of Alabama. But he's still a quality tight end. And then you got Cameron Braves, a solid receiving tight end as well. And then out of the backfield, Leonard Fournette is playing some of the best football of his career. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, he's a very good receiving back. Like there are so many weapons. And I haven't even talked about, you know, Scotty Miller seems to have like one big play every game as a deep threat for them. You know, Tyler Johnson's wide receiver is a fourth round pick I believe last year. Who's a pretty solid depth for them as well. Um, my, my guy, Jalen Darden, a fourth round pick for them this year. Another guy that I really like at wide receiver. So like, There are so many weapons for Tom Brady to pick and choose from to go to. Um, It's just, it's just going to be so tough for this Bears secondary. If if Cleo Mack does not have a big game or this pass rush in general, the bears, if they do not have a big game, it's not going to matter what they do because Tom Brady is just going to pick them apart. If they cannot get to him consistently here. And we've already got some bad news with Robert Quinn. It looks like he might be out for the game. He's got the COVID list for the bears right now. That's not good. Robert Quinn has already been the bears best. Pure pass rushers so far this year. So it's it's gonna to be tough for this Bears defense. And you go to the other side of the ball, you know, the Buccaneers are also a terrible matchup for this Bears offense because you know what's the one thing ever since Justin Fields took over and Bill Laser took over the play call that they've tried to emphasize as an offense? They've tried to emphasize the running game almost to a fault over the last couple of weeks. Like they've run the ball, they've run the ball, they've pounded the ball. And they try to overwhelm teams with the running game and trying to out physical off opposing defensive lines in their last couple of games. Well, that's not going to work against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, I mean, last I checked, they were giving up under three yards per carry. Um, at least the last time I checked, it was it was before the Eagles game, so that might have changed um, with the Eagles game. But before the Eagles game, they were giving up 2.9 yards per carries. Like this is a, a historically good run defense that the Buccaneers have here and if the Bears are going to have the same game plan where they that they've had the last couple of weeks where they're going to try to run the ball on first down second down almost every single time out there and then you know if that doesn't work they're going to be stuck in third and long which is not going to work against this Buccaneers team because they have a great pass rush they have a very smart defensive coordinator and Todd Bowles who's going, to, who's going to bring some exotic pressures here and, and fool Justin Fields a few times I'm sure like, they're going to have to try something different here than just run, run, pass, and hope it works out. Like, that's not going to work in this game. They have to let Justin Fields throw the ball in early downs. They're going to have to emphasize play action. They're going to have to get him on the move. They're going to have to use screens. They're going to have to do a, a variety of different stuff that they just haven't done yet um, with Justin Fields as the quarterback for them. You know, if they're going to just going to go to this bland, conservative game plan on offense, they're going to have a tough time because Vita Veya, Ndamukong Sue. All those guys up front, Devin White, Levante David, like they're going to eat them alive up front because the Bears' offensive line, while well, they are a better run-blocking unit than pass-blocking unit, they do not have the talent to match up with this Buccaneers' front seven in the run game. And I don't know, man. I just have a bad feeling about this game. What's your final prediction, and, and what's going to be your X factor in this one?
1: Yes, let me add this thing on real quick is I do think what's going to have to happen is as much as I hate to say it, the Bears are going to have to run a bit more of the Matt Nagy offense, but they're still going to have to protect Justin Fields, which means using the 12 and 13 personnel packages, but just not tons of play action because they're going to have to push the ball down the field to even have a chance in this game and really have a vertical passing game. That's going to set the tone for the rest of the team. Now, my prediction is this. It's going to be... Bucks 30, Bears 17. I mean, you're right. The Bucks are just too talented for the Bears to even overcome any of this. And I think that the X factor is going to be Justin Fields in this game because the Bucks are such a complete roster. You could make an argument that Justin Fields is, um, The or the Buccaneers are the one team that Justin Fields is going to face. That's probably going to be his toughest opponent all season. And so ultimately what will have to happen is this is Fields is going to have to just play a near perfect game. And you could argue, yeah, that is asking too much from a rookie. But Fields is going to have to basically play a near perfect game for the Bears to have a legitimate chance in this one and play upset. Now, I will also say this. The Bears are also a really tough, gritty team. So I'm not saying there's a chance of an upset watch, but knowing how this team is so up and down week to week, that could certainly happen.
2: Yeah. Maybe they can throw Nick Foles out there for this one. Just hope they get a little bit of luck. there. I don't know. It's going to be a tough matchup for them. Like you said, Justin Fields, he's going to have to play a near flawless game in order to come away with the win here. And they're going to have to put up points on offense. They cannot rely on the defense, keeping them close in this game and hoping that they can grind one out here. Like, they're going to need to win this game in a shootout because Tampa Bay in this offense, they're going to have no mercy on this, on this secondary. Tom Brady's going to go after the matchups that he wants to go after. And he's going to attack them consistently. He's going to attack Duke Shelley. The slide He's going to attack the safeties who haven't played well so far this year. He's going to attack Kendall Vildor on the outside. Like he is going to go after these guys and the bears offense can't show up. They're not going to have a chance. So my final prediction is going to be 35, 17 Tampa Bay, I think they get up early in this one and Tom Brady's going to have three four touchdown passes. He's going to just be all over this not really talented secondary that the Bears have here. Justin Fields, it's going to be tough for him. I think he's going to show some flashes in this game, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a rough test for him because the Bucks they have a good pass rush with Shaquille Barrett. Joe Tryon's come on strong for them as a first round pick rookie uh, for them in the pass rush. Devin White, he's a very good blitzer at the linebacker position. And, you know, the wide receivers are going to have to play big games here because, you know, the, like you said before, the Buccaneers are down cornerbacks right now. Like, they don't have any quality corners right now that are healthy, I think. So the wide receivers, they're going to have to help out Justin Fields by getting open, getting separation, and just making things a bit easier for him in the passing game. If the wide receivers can't do that, though, Justin Fields is going to be left out there to dry because it's it's just not a great matchup for them. Uh, the X factor for me is going to be the pass rush in this game. You know, can uh, without potentially Robert Quinn here, can the pass rush get after Tom Brady? That's the only way they're going to be able to stop them or slow him down is if Khalil Mack can have one of his iconic, you know, two, three sack games, get a forced fumble here. If Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, all those guys up front aren't doing those type of crazy things, it's going to be a long game out there. And, and like you said before, Justin Fields, he's going to have to have a great game as well. But we'll see what happens there. It's it's certainly going to be, you know, that's why you, they got to play the games. You can never win a game on paper or lose a game on paper. That's why they play these things. So we'll just have to see how it plays out on Sunday. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us here at the Picks for Pace podcast. I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace, uh, where we're going to be posting updates during uh, college football Saturdays, as well as just for Different type of work that we have coming up as well, different content that we're going to be pushing out here over the next coming coming months, leading into the twenty twenty two draft. Which you know, it's a while away, but it does come by fast once the season comes to a close. So make sure to follow us at for pace on Twitter. You say, work can our listeners follow you on Twitter, on
1: social media, and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal and then check out my work on the Bear Report. So I have post-game articles dropping on Sunday nights right after the Bears game and then on Thursday mornings as well around eight or nine in the morning. That's my weekly content slate. And then be sure to interact with all of us on the boards. I mean, I'm on there pretty frequently, as is um, Andrew, my publisher, Zach Pearson, too
2: yeah absolutely make sure to give you say to follow make sure to read up his work on the bear report uh, does a lot of great work there and just his takes on twitter as well a lot of interesting stuff there as for me you can follow me on twitter at aj freeman 25 you can find my work at the bear report as well i have my track in the trenches up for this bears packers game i do that every single week so if you're into statistics and offensive line defensive line play Definitely check that out. And if you're into film studies and just looking at all 22 tape and all that type of stuff, uh, make sure to check out the Bearport YouTube channel. I'm doing my weekly uh, film breakdown videos for the Bearport on the Bearport YouTube channel. This week, I focus specifically on Justin Fields and his game against the Packers. So definitely go check that out if you haven't. And if you're into that type of stuff, uh, make sure to like and subscribe there as well. All right, once again, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, It's going to be it was a tough week last week with the Packers coming into town and and beating the Bears once again. Um, We'll just have to hope that the Bears can surprise us on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But until next time, Bears fans, I want to thank you once again for tuning in and having yourself a great and safe weekend. Bear down, Bears fans. Until next time, have a good one.
0: This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently